Well, good morning. Um, my name is Carly Lundy, and I serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, so what I want to do, I will go ahead and quickly kind of read our text for today um, and then pray and then um, honor and celebrate our moms who are in this room today. Um, our text for today is in Joshua chapter 2. Jenny uh, covered kind of like the context of where we are today. We're actually taking a break from our series on the book of Ephesians, and so we're going to spend some time in the book of Joshua. And so Jenny kind of gave us a background of uh, where we are right now, but Joshua chapter 2, um, verses 1 through 14, and then we're going to be reading on to chapter 6 through 20. Uh, 22 to 25. So this is a large body of text. So um, let's go ahead and do this. Uh, Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly to Shittim um, as spies, uh, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, who lodged here. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent Rahab, saying, uh, sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the man came to me, but I did not know, I did not know uh, where they went from here. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Uh, pursue them quickly, for they will take, overtake them. Uh, you will overtake them. And then she had brought them up to the roof and hid them in the stalk of flax uh, that she had laid in order um, on the roof. And so the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords. And the gates were shut as soon as they pursued, uh, the pursuers had gone out. Before the man laid down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you have fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. Uh, what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God of heavens above and the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house. Give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brother, my sister, and all who belong to them and deliver them, uh, deliver our lives from death. And then the man said to her, our lives for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us this land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And then chapter 6, verse 22. But the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. 
So the young man who had been spies went and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brother and all who belonged to her, and they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel, and they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord, but Rahab the prostitute and her father's household, all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive, and she has lived in Israel till this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua went to spy out in Jericho. Father, I pray that you would bless your word. I pray that our hearts would be open to receive um, what you want to communicate to us in this word. God, I pray that we all will walk away being encouraged by this. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, happy Mother's Day um, to all the moms in this room, uh, especially to the mother of my three kids. I uh, wish it was four. I'm trying to make it four, but she <laughs> won't let that happen. Um, but happy Mother's Day to all. And so again, um, this is a series that we've been in in the book of Ephesians. Hi. Um, and so uh, we are taking this break right now to encourage and to honor all of our moms. Um, and so when we think about our moms and how much they have uh, done throughout the entire year, the sacrifices that they have done throughout the entire year, there are so many things that moms do every single day that makes a difference in a home and also in the life of our kids, right? Things that are seen and then things that are unseen. Um, sometimes you don't get the credit for what you do. And sometimes you put a lot of work into the home, into raising the kids, and that goes undervalued or underappreciated or unappreciated. And so today we just want to take the time to pause and to recognize our moms and to say thank you. And so if you're a mom here today, um, I would love for you to stand up. Um, and we would love to recognize you with a gift. Um, our host team uh, will come by and just to thank you um, just for being you and all the sacrifice that you put into the home and also raising up of kids. So, I think we have some moms upstairs as well. So if the host team will go upstairs as well. <laughs> and let me take this time to just pray over you moms um, God I thank you so much for the amazing women that are in the room that do so much more than just being moms or being uh, uh, women in the home but there's so much that they carry and to God we thank you for that Thank you for them being the backbone in our homes. Thank you for them being unsung heroes in our home. Thank you for the ways that they shape our lives. God, I could think of my mom who was the first one who knelt me beside her bed to teach me how to pray. Um, thank you for how women are powerful examples in the home to kids to show them how to walk godly lives. Um, thank you for the long nights the investments, um, 
just the, the back and forth driving, taking the kids to school and all that they do that sometimes we as fathers um, don't value or don't see and don't give the credit to. Uh, but God, I, I know you see each one of them. And so God, thank you. And I pray that you would continue to encourage the moms who are in this room um, to know that their labor is not in vain. Um, so we thank you. We pray over them. We pray that you would continue to strengthen them um, and, and, and their home and how they are investing in, in their kids. So we pray all this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so um, as we celebrate today, Mother's Day, um, I also want to be sensitive to the fact that um, there can be some people who are here today where today could be very difficult for you, right? Um, and so for those who may have lost mothers or mother figures in their lives today may be very painful for you. It could be a very painful reminder. Um, or those who may have had difficult relationship with their mom or maybe their moms were absent in their lives or do we wish to have a certain type of relationship with their mom, today could be a reminder of that pain. Um, there could be those who desire to be moms, right? Uh, there could be those who desire to be mom, and for whatever reason, uh, you are not able to be a mother, and so today could be a painful reminder of that. Um, or maybe you were a mom and lost a child through miscarriage, or maybe you lost a child by choice. And so today could be a reminder of that pain. That could be a lingering reminder of that loss. Um, or uh, there could be some who don't have a desire to be a mom, right? Uh, maybe you believe that the Lord has called you to be single. Um, and so because of the societal and, and, and religious Christian pressure that you probably feel, being around a setting like this could remind you or make you feel like you're selfish because you don't have that desire. Um, and so all this could remind you, could be very uncomfortable for you, right? And so we want to be sensitive to the fact that there are so many people who are looking at Mother's Day through different perspectives, right? And so regardless of how you are viewing this day, my hope is that you would be encouraged. And so at the end of service, we want to take a time to also pray for you, right? People who are celebrating today, but then people who may not see today as much of a celebration, but there's a lot of pain to today. And so we want to pray for both of you at the end of service. Now, the text that we just read you're probably wondering, and somebody asked me just, uh, just now, like, why are we reading Joshua? Why are we talking about a war? And why are we talking about a prostitute? Right? And so as I was praying about this text, I asked my wife, I said, hey, babe, do you think it would be a good idea to preach on a prostitute today? And she said, no, Carly, don't do it. <laughs> and so I'm doing it anyway right? And so this is one of the reasons why men have shorter lifespan than women, because we take risk, right? And so, no, I, I, I spoke to her, and I kind of ran through the, the sermon uh, with her, and she gave me the green light, and so if this bombs, right, she shares in that, 
and that, right? So blame her as well. Um, so today, I want to talk about how investing your faith in Jesus can have a lasting impact in your life, but in the life of those around you, right? How investing your faith in Jesus can make a lasting impact in your life and in the life of those around you, regardless of your role in life, whether you are a mom or not, we all have an opportunity to make a difference in someone's life and to rewrite their story. We all have that opportunity. And so as I think about moms today, right, mothers is often a symbol, seen as a symbol of investment. Mothers are often seen as a symbol of investment. You invest time, you invest energy, you invest resources into raising your kids and nurturing them, right? From the moment a child is conceived, a mother's investment begins, right? She invests her body. She invests her body. This child invades her body, feeds on it, takes control over it like an alien, right? Like her body morphs in all sorts of ways to make room for the survival of this child, right? And sometime at great risk to the mom, to her health, and even to her life. From the moment a child is born, a mother invests time. She spends sleepless night nursing, changing diapers, soothing the baby, packing lunches, driving back and forth to practice. And as this child grows, a mother invests countless hours being a teacher in the home, being a nurse, being a counselor, being a guide to this child through all sorts of challenges. A mother invests emotional support. She provides a safe and a loving space for this child to express themselves and to develop their sense of identity. The investment that you moms are making in the life of your children will shape who they become tomorrow, right? And so a mother's investment is a picture of how God wants us to invest in the lives of others. When you and I invest in someone's life, whether you realize it or not, whether it's intentional or not, you are making a difference. You're making a difference in someone's life. Someone is watching you right now, and someone is learning from you right now. Maybe they're watching you at work, or maybe they're watching you at home. Maybe they're watching your marriage, or maybe they're watching how you live the single life. They're watching you on social media. They're watching you as a neighbor. Someone is learning from you, and you are making a difference in someone's life. It may be positive, or it may not be positive, but you are making a lasting impact on someone's life. And so when we read the story of Rahab, we see how a woman invested faith in God, and as a result, three things happened. One, God transformed her life, and her faith impacted those around her. But then two, we see Rahab's fate had a lasting impact that extended beyond her expectation. 
And then three, we see Rahab's faith begin, became part of God's great plan to use unlikely individuals to make a significant impact on the world. And so we see the impact that Rahab had on those around her, the impact that she had that extended beyond her expectation, and the impact that she had on the world. And so this is what we're going to be looking at, right? So one, God transformed Rahab's life and her life impacted those around her. So Joshua chapter 2 opens up with seeing who Rahab is, right? And we learn three things about Rahab. One, she's a prostitute. Two, she's a Canaanite woman living in Jericho. And three, she's in the middle of a war that she's unaware of. There's a war that's happening around her, and she has no clue that she's in in danger. And so one, we hear that Rahab is a prostitute, and this is how the Bible describes her. And when I was reading this, I was like, man, I have a hard time probably saying some of these words. But the Bible wasn't shy about describing her for who she was. She was a prostitute. She was highly immoral. And when we meet her in verse 1, we meet her living in her sin. She was living in a brothel. She was living in a whorehouse. This is where God finds her in this house of prostitution. And so we don't meet Rahab in the process of getting her life right. We actually meet her fully immersed in her sinful lifestyle. This is where we find Rahab. She wasn't in the process of looking for God or looking for redemption. The fact that the Bible introduced her as a prophet, it's for us to know that she was a hot mess just like all of us and deserving of God's judgment. She was caught in her sin, and she was deserving wrath, just like all of us. Not only was she a prostitute, but she was a Canaanite woman. She was a Canaanite woman from Jericho. And now the people in Jericho were some of the most violent, sinful groups of people during that time. And this is when, why Jenny, when she read in the beginning, that Joshua was commanded by the Lord to go and take over certain lands. Because some people who are living in those lands, there were rebels against God. And so the people in Jericho, was some, they were some of the most violent groups of people at the time. And there are certain things that they practice that the Bible is totally against. They practice things like child sacrifices, killing and offering children to idols, kind of like what we have today with abortion, Right? offering children up to our idols of comfort and convenience. They practiced things like divination, psychic reading, crystal healing, astrology, false religion, all forms of spiritualism, but in reality was witchcraft and demonic. They practiced things like temple prostitution, They indulge in sexual activities as a form of worship. Even though they were degrading their bodies and exploiting sex, they saw it as a form of self-expression or worship. And none of that happens today, right? And so we see where these people were using sex as a form of expression, exploiting women as a form of entertainment. 
And those things are ancient today, right? No. Those things still happen today. We're just more sophisticated in how we do it. And so we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, where the Bible tells us that our bodies is the temple of God. And when we engage in casual hookups or sexual activities or get half naked on Instagram, right, we are practicing the same type of temple prostitution to worship the idol of sex. And so this is what they were doing. Listen, in fact, whenever we engage in this type of sin or any types of sin, we're prostituting our souls. Whenever we engage in sin, we are prostituting our souls. We are exchanging our souls for something that is temporary or fleeting, whether it be pleasure or whether it's power or any type of gain. Just like prostitution, whenever we engage in sin, we are exploiting our souls. Every time we exchange our souls for sin, we give ourselves to sin, we are giving away the imago day that's in us, the dignity, the value that God has placed in us, and we are destroying ourselves. We're letting sin use us and destroy us. Listen, sin will always leave us empty, and sin will always use us, right? So whenever we are engaging in sin, we are prostituting and exploiting our souls. We are giving ourselves away to something that would ultimately destroy us, strip us of our value, right? Stripping us of our value. And listen, destroying our lives, destroying our marriage, destroying our character whenever we are engaging in sin. And so this is what we learn about Rahab. She was a prostitute. She was a Canaanite woman. And then we read that she was in the middle of a war. And then she had no clue this war was happening. And she was in, the, in danger, impending danger. And so listen, she was immersed in sin. She was immersed in the culture of Jericho. And she didn't realize that the wrath of God was pointing at her. And Joshua and his army was coming to the city to destroy everything in it, right? So the wrath of God was about to be poured out on her. Her life was in danger, and she was completely unaware. And I want you to know today, there's a war that is happening against you and around you. There's a war that's happening against you and around you, against you, against your families, against your friends, against your marriage, against your kids. There's a war that is happening around us. And the problem that we have, we are fighting an enemy that is very powerful. And one of the tools that he used is his power to blind us, right? He blinds us once so that we don't see that we are at war. And so because we don't see that we are at war, we are unprepared and we are unaware to fight. He blinds us. And then we are blinded. He blinds us to see who our real enemies are. Because we think that our enemies is the spouse that we are living with, or the kids in our home, or our parents, or the people in our job, or the people in our church, or our neighbor, or the people in your family. 
But what we fail to realize that all of those people that we think is our enemies are also casualties in this war. And so he blinds us to see who our real enemy is. But then he also blinds us to see the urgency to fight. Right? And because we don't see an urgency to fight, we're very complacent and we're very passive. And so he is causing destruction left and right in our families, in our lives. And so when we understand, listen, when we understand the reality of the war that we are facing and the true nature of the enemy that we are fighting, we will see how important it is to fight, to invest in God for power and strength, but then to invest faith so that we won't be complacent and then to invest in each other so that we don't fight this fight alone. We all need each other. And so we read this in Joshua chapter 2, God had to intervene into Rahab's life to help her see her desperate need to align herself with God's purpose. She was about to be destroyed and God had to intervene. And so these two spies who came to her home did not find her home by accident. They didn't find her home by accident. This was God's sovereign design for those spies to find Rahab and to find Rahab exactly where she was, to bring hope and to dwell with her. And we read that in verse 8, that these spies came to lay and to dwell in her home. Because this is not normal for an Israelite to be in the home of a prostitute. So this wasn't by God, by accident, but this was by God's design. And you know what this tells me? This tells me that God doesn't wait for us to come to him. He meets us where we are. He doesn't wait for us to fix ourselves or to get our lives together. He encounters us where we are. And then it also tells me that God is not ashamed to dwell with us. In fact, he invites us to dwell with him. And he invites us to come boldly into his presence. And then not just that, but it tells me that God does not overlook people. He doesn't overlook us because of our sin or our past. Instead, he desires to use our past to showcase his power, to showcase his power to transform and to rewrite our stories. And so this is what happens. God's mercy that day came into a prostitute's home. Came into a prostitute's home. There's not a place where God's mercy will not go to find us. And there's not a place that is beyond God's redeeming love, regardless, or, uh, or there's not a person that is beyond God's redeeming love. And so regardless of, like, what's in your past, or how sinful you think you may be, or how broken you think you are, God offers forgiveness and a new beginning. A new beginning for those who come to him with a broken heart. And so we read this in verse 8, when Rahab realizes what's going on, and then she begs for God's kindness. 
right? In verse 8, she says, I know that the Lord has given you this land and the great fear of, of you has fallen upon us, that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters in the Red Sea. And when you came out of Egypt and all that you did to these kings, and then listen to what Rahab says, for the Lord your God is the God in heaven above and on earth below. Now please, she begs, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness. She begs for kindness. But then not only that, but then she begs for kindness for those who are in her home. Her father, her mother, her brother, her sister, and all who belong to them. And she begs for God to save them from death. Right? This is the prayer of a broken woman. And Rahab begged for mercy for herself But then not just that, but she begged mercy for her family and everyone around her. She invested faith in God's kindness, and then she invested in the life of those who were around her to experience that same kindness. And so those who understand the amazing kindness of God will not keep that to themselves, and they would want others to experience that as well. And so this is her prayer, right? She prays for kindness, and she prays for that kindness to be experienced in her family. It starts first in her home. She invested, she wants to invest that kindness in her home. And the same for us. It starts in our home, where we want to invest the knowledge of God into our family, Right? If you are a Christian and you fully understand the kindness of God, it's your duty, it's your responsibility to invest that in your family. But then we see she invests that in everyone else around. They were all dysfunctional, sinful people, but she also wanted them to experience God's kindness. And so no matter how dysfunctional your relationships with is, is with your family or your friends, you would want them to experience God's kindness as well. Parents, invest the kindness of God into your kids so that they will follow you as they are following God. Invest the kindness, this kindness in your unbelieving friends. Invest the kindness, this kindness in your marriage, right? And so we see this is what Rahab does. And so when we see the story of Rahab, we see that no one is beyond God's redemption. No one is beyond God's redeeming love. And no one is too lost that they can't be saved. Right? And then we see how God is willing to go far to pull Rahab out of a brothel. No one is beyond God's redeeming love. God could redeem you. God could redeem the people in your life. God can redeem any dysfunctional relationship that you are in. If you have faith to invest and trust and believe in God, but then also invest that same love and kindness in those relationships. Now, here's the thing. Two, we see some of the impacts that Rahab begins to have. 
Because as we continue to follow the life of Rahab, we see how her life and her faith had a lasting impact that extended beyond her expectation. So God was able to use her to invest in other people who eventually became great leaders. This prostitute, this broken woman. Martin Luther King was a great leader who changed the world. But oftentimes when we talk about Martin Luther King, we don't talk about Alberta King, his mom. She doesn't have a memorial. She's not in any type of history book. We don't remember her. But if it wasn't for the investment of her mom, his mom, who was just a simple choir director, he would not have been such a great leader. His mom was an unsung hero. And the same we find with Rahab, she was an unsung hero because of her investment and faith in God. She invested that faith, now we find, in a son. If you read the Bible, we stumble on this book called the Book of Ruth. And it tells us the story of a woman named Ruth and a man named Boaz. And a man named Boaz. And we read about Boaz, how Boaz was such a great leader. Right? We read how she, he was a son. And not one time in the book do you ever hear Rahab mentioned in the book, but she was the unsung hero and the mother of Boaz. And I think sometimes, or maybe, we don't realize that or we dismiss the impact that Rahab had on the life of Boaz. Can you imagine that? Right? This great leader came from the womb of a prostitute. God made beauty from this immoral person in her immoral past, which tells me that our past does not have to define us. And regardless of what our past is and how broken our life may be or brokenness that we have experienced, God has the power to rewrite our story and give us a better future. And so this is what we see through her son Boaz in the book of Ruth. And so the book of Ruth tells us the story of this woman, Ruth, who lost her husband. And so she was a widow. And so because she lost her husband and being a widow, she didn't have any kids at the time to carry her family lineage. And so she had no kids. And then the legacy, the generation of her family line was at risk of being extinct. And so Ruth moves to a foreign land with no family, only with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And so we find Ruth now gleaning in a field, and this field was owned by a man named Boaz. And she meets Boaz. And then when we find Boaz, we see just how he comes and embraces Ruth. Now, before we get to that point, one of the things that I want to say, and this is not to over-spiritualize everything, Ruth was at risk of not having a lineage pass on, or she was at risk of not having a future generation. 
And so her generation was at risk of being extinct. And again, I'm not trying to spiritualize everything, but I do want to acknowledge that there are a danger or some danger that we are experiencing in this generation that is threatening the future of our kids, right? And so these destructive cycles, these uh, sufferings that we may have experienced in our past that we are passing on to our kids, right? And we see how that's playing out in their life now, whether it's trauma of abuse, these destructive cycles that are perpetuating in our family, abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, or sexual abuse that are long-lasting in or lasting effects in our family. We see that on and on how we pass certain trauma to our kids. Maybe it's abuse or maybe it's addiction, alcohol or drug or gambling addiction, or maybe it's the trauma of divorce that we are passing and that we're not seeing the psychological effects that are happening, the generational effects that are happening, that we're passing on. Or maybe it's infidelity in our marriages that can cause deep wounds in our family, that can lead to all sorts of pain. And so we see all these brokenness that are happening in our families, in our generation, these destructive cycles. But then this is why this story is so powerful because Ruth and Boaz and this relationship that they had changed the cycle because of the influence that his mom, Rahab, had on a husband or a man named Boaz. Boaz changed that cycle because what we find out about Boaz says nothing to the fact that he was raised by a prostitute mom, right? Because when we read about his character, we see that he was a compassionate man. We see that he was respectful. We see that he was generous. We see that he was God-fearing. We see that he was responsible. We see that he was a man of integrity, right? And so all this he learned from his mom, who invested this faith in him. And, you know, it's funny, if you live in Christian circles, you would hear sometimes guys say, like, you know, we're looking for, like, a Proverb 31 woman, right? This is the type of woman that we're looking for. But then, man, where are the Boaz type of men in our churches? You know what I'm saying? Where are the men who are compassionate, who are respectful towards men, women who are generous, who are God-fearing, who are responsible, who have integrity, right? Boaz was raised by this woman named Rahab. This cycle was broken. When Rahab met God and she invested this knowledge of kindness and compassion and generosity into her son. And so don't underestimate the value of investing a relationship with God into your kids. Don't underestimate the power of praying for your kids. Don't underestimate the power of having devotions with your kids or letting them see you pray over your husband or over your wife. Don't underestimate the power of praying for your unbelieving family member or your friends. 
And then we see this investment that Rahab had in the life of Boaz produced an amazing reward that she never got a chance to see. Because as we continue to read the life of Rahab, we see her influence that extended beyond her expectation. We see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, when Rahab left Jericho, she ended up marrying a man named Salmon. She uprooted her family and left her past, separating herself from that old life. She uprooted her life and moved to live with God's people. And then at some point, she met a man named Salmon and she gave birth to Boaz. And then Boaz married Ruth. And Ruth had Obed. And Obed had Jesse. And Jesse fathered David, the king of Israel. This prostitute woman, her lineage produced the greatest king of Israel. Right? But then that's not just it. Look at her legacy. She went on, and then as you continue to read this, you find out that she was related to the greatest king, the king of kings, Jesus. As you continue to read this lineage in Matthew chapter 1, you find that she is a great grandmother to Jesus. Four generations removed, or 14 generations removed. Through this prostitute, the lineage of royalty came from. And it just shows that God could take beauty or take ashes or take the ugliness in our lives and bring beauty out of it, right? So point number three, right? Rahab's faith became part of God's plan to use the unlikely individual to make a significant impact. And so pretty much you can make a difference in the world around you if you just invest faith in God, right? You can make a difference today at your job. You can make a difference today in your home. You can make a difference today um, as a mom or as a dad. You can make a difference today as a husband or as a wife. And so you can make a difference today even as a single in how you walk in purity, right? God can use you to establish his plans, to accomplish his plans. And it's not just about your ability or just your qualifications. So regardless of your past or your background, God can use you to invest faith in him, but then that can do great things, great things. Now, um, I had to fight to find some coins because I wanted to use this, right? Um, in 2009, I don't know if you remember, bitcoins were first introduced to the world, right? And when bitcoins were first introduced, at the time, you can purchase a coin for about eight cents. Um, or you can purchase a coin, it was eight, eight-tenth um, it would be worth. And so if you uh, invested about $100 in bitcoins, um, it only would have gave you, not even a penny, it would give you about eight-tenth of a penny, right? Now, if you left um, your bitcoins uh, or just that $100 in bitcoins for about a year, again, it would have grown to about eight cents, right? 
And so when you think about that, you're like, okay, well, I just invested $100 and it's been a year and all I have in return is just eight cents. That doesn't seem like it's a lot, right? That just seems like, one, it's a waste of money and it's a waste of time and I'm not seeing a lot of return for what I've invested. But then I checked, if you left that $100 in Bitcoins now, today, in May 13, right, 2023, that Bitcoin, that $100 that was worth eight cents would be worth about $400 million, right? Which is crazy because when you think about that, you're like, wait, eight cents? What I'm investing? That just seems like nothing. But then what we see is sometimes we don't see the power of our investment right away. We don't see the power of our investment right away, or we may not see that power of it, our investment in our lifetime. But then Rahab, listen, Rahab never saw the power of her investment, the power of her faith in her son Boaz. And she never saw the power of her investment 14 generations later in Jesus. But her faith, God did great work through her where you had kings produce from her faith. You had David produce from her faith. And you had Jesus produce from her faith. That's the power of your investment. And so Rahab never got a chance to see that, but then this prostitute played a role in God's redemptive plan, which tells me that God can use unlikely people, even people who are unqualified, or even people who have insecurities, or even people who think that they're not worth anything. But if you offer that faith to God, God can do amazing things through you. He can raise great leaders through you. He can do powerful things through you. He can impact the world through you. And you may never see that, but you will live on through your investments your investment. So investing faith in God requires, yes, patience. It requires patience. It requires long-term perspective, right? Praying those long nights over your kids who probably don't know Jesus or who are straying away from the faith. It requires long-term perspective, praying over your marriage that you feel right now is beyond redemption and you may not be seeing any results from it. Praying over those family members in your life that you think, man, they are beyond redemption. Praying for those friends in your life, it requires patience and long-term perspective. And so the immediate results, you may never see it, or you may ne never understand how God is using that investment. But those prayers, those moments of discipling your kids, or those moments of walking alongside of people, those moments of showing kindness to people who don't deserve it, those moments of praying for your family, right? We can have confidence that the power of God will grow those things and have significant impacts, right? But then as we continue to follow the life of Rahab, we read in Hebrews chapter 11. 
in Hebrews chapter 11. This is the Hall of Fame of great leaders in the Bible. This is the Hall of Fame of faith. When you read this list of great leaders in the Bible, you read about Abraham, you read about Noah, you read about Isaac, you read about Jacob, you read about Moses. Then right next to Moses and right before David is Rahab. In the hall of fame of faith of great men and women, you see Rahab right next to Moses and right before David. From the family line of a Canaanite who were religious and morally corrupt and unclean people to the family line of the king of kings, Jesus, to now in the hall of fame of great people, Rahab, this prostitute, and her investment in her son, and her investment in God's work that brought great impact to the world, to now we see how God did not forget her name and the greatness of her faith, right? And so, could you imagine right now, Rahab, how she could be looking at this? Could you imagine what Rahab would have thought about the story of her life? Right? She wouldn't believe it. She wouldn't believe it because there's nothing in Rahab that made her qualified enough or deserving enough to make such an impact. And the most ungodly person became the relative of Jesus and Jesus was not ashamed to claim her in his lineage. He made it publicly known that Rahab was family. He redeemed her name. He redeemed her dignity. He redeemed her value. He redeemed her purpose. He redeemed her family. He redeemed her story. What is the story of your life that you want God to redeem? What is the story of your family that you want God to redeem? What is the story of your marriage that you want God to redeem? What is the story of your life that you want God to redeem? Is there sexual sins in your life that you want God to redeem? Is there abortion in your life that you want God to redeem? Is there pornography in your life that you want God to redeem? Is there divorce in your life or addiction in your life that you want God to redeem? If you are here today, I want you to know God wants to redeem your story. And regardless of your past, invest faith in Jesus now and he will give you a new beginning and rewrite your story. I want you to listen. Rahab was a woman who gave her body to be shamefully used by men and for their pleasure. But then Jesus gave his body to be shamefully crucified on the cross for her good and for her pleasure. Jesus gave his body on the cross for our good and for our pleasure to show all of us that no one is beyond redemption if we invest faith in him. I want to encourage you today, as moms, invest faith in God first and invest faith in your family. 
As dads, invest faith in God first and invest faith in your family. Whether you're single, invest faith in God's first and invest faith in those God has placed around you. He wants to redeem your life, but then he wants you, he wants to use you in a powerful way, regardless of your past, to rewrite stories of the people he has placed around you. That's my prayer and my encouragement to all of us today. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your redeeming love. And your redeeming love is illustrated all throughout the life of Rahab, which is a perfect picture of who we are. God, we are people who constantly give ourselves away to sin, exploiting ourselves to sin. But you came to us, entered into our world, entered into our home of prostitution, our home of, of, of being in a brothel, but you came into our home and you dwell with us and you redeemed us and you uprooted us and then you move us into your family. God, thank you for that greatness and thank you for that great love. So I pray for all those who are here today who don't know that love, they would experience that love. But I also pray for all those who are struggling, whether it's being moms or being dads, or being husbands, or being wives, or being just a, a person who is living their lives at work or anywhere else, Lord, I pray that we will see, one, the kindness that you have shown to us, but then pour that kindness out on those you've placed around us. Open our eyes to see the great work that you want to do in us. And not just that, but the great work that you want to use us to do in the life of those around us. And so we pray in your name. Amen. Um, what I want to do right now, um, I want to pray over uh, the moms in the room, but not just the mom, but for anyone who may find today very difficult. And so again, um, I want to honor the mom, but then I also I want to honor all the women in this room because we know that there are some women who are praying and desiring to be moms and again today could be very difficult or maybe you've lost a mom and today is very difficult um, or maybe again um, you've lost a child um, through miscarriage and, and today so many of us today are not seen today as such of a celebratory day it could be very hard and so I want to pray for you today as well and so um, I want to ask, if you don't mind, uh, to stand. If you're a mom or if today is a day that is just very hard for you, for whatever reason, I want to ask that you stand, invite you to stand. But then the people who are sitting next to you, I want for you to just lay hands on those individuals and pray over them. And so I want to give you guys some time to do that. Um, and if you don't mind, I would like for moms in the room, if you would stand. Um, and then if you're just in this room and then it's just been a difficult day for you, just thinking about what Mother's Day is and then so many things that revolve around Mother's Day. Um, just want to.
pray for you as well. So I want to give you guys some time right now and just kind of look around and see. There could be some people who are standing and they don't have anyone close to them. You can move around the room and just two or three people could just lay hands and pray over them. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.